let's uh, turn to God's Word. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 33. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, get to Jeremiah 33, short reading. Uh, this Advent series, we have been looking at prophecies in the Old Testament that promise the coming of Jesus. Uh, we've been looking at those promises and how they are fulfilled in Christ. Uh, the first week we looked at the, the power of Christ the King and how that was prophesied in Isaiah and then fulfilled in Christ's coming. Then we looked at the comfort that was prophesied and then fulfilled in Christ's coming. And then we looked at the peace that was prophesied and fulfilled in Christ's coming. And this week we're going to look at the hope that was prophesied in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in Christ's coming. So this is uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. All men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the promises in God's word. They last forever. Let's listen to him. Um, Every couple of years, I go uh, see my, a cardiologist in Houston, and I, have, uh, I take an, an MRI. I have to have a, a cardiac MRI. And if you've never had an MRI, uh, they put you, you, you lay flat on a table, and they put you in this big machine. It, it, it's cylinder, right? It's very small. They, they cover you with stuff. They put you in there, and they, um, they take images of your, of your body, right? So this week, I went down for my MRI this year. And uh, I showed up three hours early for my appointment, thinking, all right, I'm going to get in early. And I told the lady, hey, you know, I showed up a little early, so, you know, I showed up at 8 a.m. I know my appointment's not till 11, but maybe I can get in early. And she says, oh, yeah, we'll try to work you in. So I sat there, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited for three hours. <laughs> and finally, in my appointment time at 11 a.m., I got in. It was, it was no big deal. So I get in, and, and the, the MRI tech, his name is Connor. We've seen each other several times, so now we're buddies. And uh, Connor and I are chit-chatting. He's like, oh, yeah, this will, it'll be fine. It'll only take an hour or so, you know, and, and I'll walk you through it and all that kind of stuff, and you'll be good. And we'll let you even watch a movie. So I picked out a Christmas movie, Scrooged by Bill, Bill Murray from the 80s. Everybody, terrible movie. <laughs> terrible. So they, they get me all ready. They put me in there. I'm watching Scrooge. And for the first, you know, he, he told me it was going to take about an hour. So the first, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, like, it's not too bad. Everything's okay, right? The movie's terrible, but, you know, I'm, I'm making it. And then after a while, I started to get a little antsy, and I want to move around, but you can't move around. It's kind of like you're stuck in, I imagine, a coffin sort of thing. Like, it's real small and tight, so you can't move. You're like a burrito. And uh, I started to get antsy, and then I started to get a little sore, and then I started to get hot. And I tell Connor, like, hey, Connor, like, I'm not feeling well. I'm getting antsy. I'm getting sore. He's like, it's okay. Just a few more images. I said, okay, I'll wait. I keep waiting. Then my back starts to hurt, and my neck and my shoulders start to hurt. And I say, hey, Connor, man, I'm, like, I'm struggling here, buddy. And he says, hey, you know, it's, it's good. We're, we're almost done. The doctor's looking at your images right now, and they're going to let me know if you need anything else. So, okay. So I wait a few more minutes, 
And finally I say, Connor, like, I got to move, buddy. And so he, he comes in, he brings me out, he lets me move around a little bit. He's like, oh, the doctor said we just need a few more images. Okay, so I go back in the MRI machine. I lay there longer. He takes some more images. Finally, I said, Connor, you got to get me out of this machine. He says, okay, we're, we're done. Like, doctor said it's good. You guys, you can come on out. So I, uh, <laughs> so I get out of the machine. I go back to the waiting room. I get my watch. I look at my watch, and I had been in there for two hours. Two hours. Two hours of waiting, longing, aching. This promise that Connor had made to me <laughs> took two hours to become fulfilled, not an hour. Uh, in our passage this morning, we read about God's people waiting on his promise to be fulfilled. Right? Verse 14 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So God made these amazing promises to Israel in the Old Testament. He said, I am going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. I'm going to give you a good home. I'm going to be, give you a, a great, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to experience all these wonderful blessings, and it is going to come through King David. One of his offspring is going to reign on your throne forever and bring these blessings to you. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> or it happened in very small, uh, small bits, right? Uh, and at this time, in this passage, right, Jerusalem has been destroyed. Judah has been invaded by their enemies. And David's sons aren't following God, and so his, his, his family line has ended. There, like there's, there's not a king sitting on the throne from David. So it looks like these promises are unfulfilled. So the people are longing, they're waiting, they're aching, they're giving up hope in God's promises. So I want to ask you this morning, when do you find yourself giving up hope on God's promises? God promises to be with you, to never leave you or forsake you. But yet we still feel lonely sometimes, don't we? God promises to provide everything that you need. And yet sometimes we still struggle to pay the bills, don't we? God promises to give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. But many of us still struggle with depression and anxiety. It's hard to hold out hope that those promises are going to be fulfilled. The world gives us amazing promises, right? The world says, uh, man, that you're going to have friends, that, you're going to have, that if you get a college education, you're going to get a great job. You're going to get a, it promises you a better house. It promises you a better life. It promises you a better body. Uh, the world makes all these promises. If you'll, just, if you'll just follow the way of the world, then you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. It doesn't happen. It overpromises and underdelivers. And we find ourselves aching, longing, frustrated, and fearful. We find ourselves giving up hope. This morning, what I want to look at from this passage is three Christmas promises that give us hope. What is hope? Hope is the confidence, the confidence that God's promises are going to be fulfilled in Jesus. Hope is the confidence that grows 
as we see God's promises fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. So we're going to look at three promises. The promises of a righteous branch, the promise of justice and righteousness, and the promise of salvation and security. The first promise is the promise of a righteous branch. It says it in verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. So this righteous branch is a theme that we see all through the Old Testament, right? And to understand it, what you've got to imagine is that God's people are like a tree. It's got roots, it's got a stump, it's got branches, and it's, it's this beautiful tree that is branching out. It's growing, and it's making more and more trees. That God's people are a forest of trees, right? They're oaks of righteousness. But the kings of God's people are unrighteous, and they lead people into unrighteousness. And God's people are idolatrous. That means they worship false gods. And so what happens, what happened in this time of the prophets was that because of their unrighteousness, God judged the nation of Israel. And he judged the kings. And he cut the tree back to a stump. He cut the forest back to stumps. And so I don't know if you've ever like driven by an area that's been burned over. And you look at that area and you see uh, this, all these black charred trees. And maybe you see trees that are, that are fallen over. And maybe you see this, the, these trees that have been cut down and destroyed. There's nothing there. There's no life. And that's what, where Judah and Jerusalem, that's where they're at right now. But God is promising that out of these stumps, he is going to bring a righteous branch. He's going to bring new life. He's going to bring new growth. That, that out of this black smoldering stump, you're going to see a green leaf of life. You're going to have a righteous king that's going to come out of a dead stump. Well, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus that we get in Matthew, what do you see? You see a bunch of smoldering stumps. You see a bunch of unrighteous kings. Let me give you a little example. David, King David, the the best king, the ideal king, was a murderer and an adulterer. Solomon, King Solomon had over 900 wives and concubines. Rehoboam, his foolishness led to the division of the kingdom, and he allowed God's people to to worship other gods. Abijah continued to allow the people to worship false gods. Asaph, even though he was a good king and he removed some of the false gods, he didn't remove all of them. Ahaz, we studied him a few weeks ago, he worshiped false gods and he was unfaithful and he made, he made uh, covenants he made with, with other countries instead of trusting God. Jehoshaphat continued the idolatry. Joram continued the idolatry. All these kings continued to let Israel worship false gods. It was a stump. <laughs> A smoldering stump. And it was out of that smoldering stump that God brought a righteous branch, Jesus. That's his family lineage. Hope grows as we trust the promise that God can bring a righteous branch out of a smoldering stump. That's what God did in the life of Jesus. And that's what he can do in our lives as well.
Where do you feel like a smoldering stump? Is it your friendships? Is it your marriage? Is it your job? Is it your health? Is it your siblings, your relationship with your siblings? Where is it? Where do you feel like a smoldering stump? That is the very place that God can bring life to you. I heard a story this week about um, a young man who, who was in a church. And uh, this young man, he, uh, he, he came from an abusive family. Both of his parents abused him. So he was put in a foster system, and he was kicked around from foster home to foster home to foster home. Right? Eventually, he landed in a foster home that took him to the church, introduced him to the gospel. He became a Christian. He, he began to go through this process of healing and transformation in his life. Uh, and the pastor that was telling the story said that this young man, after all that healing, had sat down with him and was saying, I want to go into the ministry. I want to bring this kind of hope and healing to other people that I've experienced in my life. What did God do? God brought a, a branch out of a smoldering stump. Paul tells us that we know that all things work for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We can trust that promise that no matter what is happening in our lives, God can bring righteousness and life out of that smoldering stump that you experience. As we trust him to do that, our hope will grow. We trust the promise that God can bring a righteous branch. It's fulfilled in Jesus, and we can trust it. The second promise we have is the promise of justice and righteousness. It's in verse 15. It says, He, that's the, the righteous branch, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Okay? So justice and righteousness are two uh, thick concepts throughout the Bible. And, and I like how one uh, commentator described it. He says, justice and righteousness are two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the same coin. Okay? They, they function together as a pair of, of concepts that describe our behavior towards God and our behavior towards man. Justice is legal. Righteousness is ethical. Think about it this way. Justice is loving your neighbor. Righteousness is loving God. Uh, Jeremiah doesn't give us a, a real, any kind of description of this, but Isaiah does. Isaiah 1, 16 through 17, he, he describes the um, unrighteousness and injustice of Israel. And he says this. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah is saying that Israel was unrighteous. They were dirty and they were unclean because they broke God's law, because they were oppressive and abusive to others. They didn't love God and they didn't love their neighbor. And so he calls them to repentance and he calls them to live righteously. He calls them to turn from their idols to practice justice, to care for the poor, and to do good. But what, what Isaiah is doing is he's prophesying that this righteous branch, this righteous king, is the one who's going to do this. And what do we see in the life of Jesus? The birth of Jesus fulfilled this promise to bring justice and righteousness, right? 
So when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, we studied this last fall, he, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. That's one of the first uh, teachings that Matthew gives us. In the Sermon on the Mount, you see it's fascinating. You have the scribes and the Pharisees that want to lower God's law and distort it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're not going to lower it and we're not going to distort it. And then you have the tax collectors and the sinners. They want to throw God's law out. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to throw God's law out. We're going we're gonna to love God and we're going to love our neighbors with our whole heart. And that's what Jesus did. That's what we see him do in his life. He loved God and he loved his neighbor with his whole heart, right? And you, you could work through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and you can look at all the different ways that he do that. Uh, he never lusted. He never hated his neighbor. He never retaliated against his enemies or broke his promises. He gave generously. He prayed intimately and he fasted secretly. He judged wisely, he followed God's will, and he bore fruit for the kingdom. He was salt and light to everyone around him. And who do we see him caring for? We see him caring for the poor and the vulnerable, the sick and the needy. And those people were drawn to him to experience the good news of the gospel. He he didn't just um, talk about caring for the poor He actually came and lived among them and was kind and compassionate with them. He brought justice and righteousness to the world. He fulfilled this promise. Do you long for a world filled with justice and righteousness? Uh, Do you long for a world where marriage and family are defined by God and not by the courts? Do you long for a world where the unborn and the elderly of all races and all classes are cared for? Do you long for a world where the homeless find a home, addicts find freedom, and the lost find God? Do you long for a world where the innocent are vindicated and the guilty are punished? It is right to long for these things because that's how God intended the world to be created, and sin has broken the world. Right. And it is right to grieve those things when we see them. And that's, that's one of the things as Christians we have to do a good job of doing is calling out injustice and righteousness and grieving it. Right. And admitting that we need Jesus to come and bring it. That there's no king, there's no law, there's no president, there's no technology who's going to come and make the world just and righteous because we're part of the problem. Right? And, and sometimes, even when we try to help, we make things worse. Uh, while I was in Houston, I had to get an Uber. And uh, so I got an Uber. And, you know, sometimes your Uber drivers don't say a word. And sometimes they just talk, talk, talk. And I got a guy who, who talked a lot. And so I was asking him questions about himself. And I, he was from Iraq. He lived in, you know, the States for 20-something years. But, so I said, why did you come to America from Iraq? And he said, he was just filled with chaos and confusion. It was unsafe. I said, really? Like, tell me about that. And he goes, well... I was captured by my own countrymen. I was tortured. They pulled out my teeth and held me for ransom. I said, like, Iraqis did this to you? And he said, yes, those were Iraqis. He said, so I I fled to America so I could get away from that. I said, oh, okay. So I said, well, whenever we came in and we had the whole Iraq war and we, we got rid of Saddam and we did the whole thing, I said, did that make it better? He said, no, that actually made it worse. (laughs) 
We struggle to bring justice and righteousness to the world. We struggle to have it here in our, in our states, right? I don't know how many times uh, I've talked with families who have been involved in custody cases, uh, and, and, and they're, they're waging these wars in the, in, the, in the courts, and the process is slow, and it's costly, and it's painful, and in the end, it's just unjust and unrighteous. Like, the outcome is not right. There's no, and there's no king or law or president that's going to make that happen. Only King Jesus can bring justice and righteousness to this land. And, and as a church, we have to lament it and grieve it and call it out. And we wait for the day when Jesus returns and he brings justice and righteousness fully and finally. So what do we do as we wait? Well, until then, we, we strive within our own lives as best as we can to, to live justly and live righteously, to see that fulfilled in our own lives. Uh, we take uh, God, what God said to uh, the Israelites in Isaiah, and we apply it to our own lives. We wash ourselves. We make ourselves clean in Christ. We remove the evil from our deeds before our eyes. We strive to cease to do evil. We learn to do good. We seek justice. We correct oppression we bring justice to the fatherless. We plead the widow's cause. Uh, we do that in our own lives through Christ, in our, own, in our own little areas, whether it's at work or it's in your neighborhood or it's in your home or it's in your church. You seek to do those things by the power of the Holy Spirit as best you can. And you ask God to bring justice and righteousness through it. I heard a good example of this this week. Uh, it was a story about a, a young boy named Jamal uh, and and. This is not an exaggeration. Every adult in Jamal's life passed away. He bounced around from home to home, from family to family member, and either by their own sin or by the sins in this world, all of his family members had passed away. And he had been in school and out of school, and he was in a gang, and he got out of the gang, and what he found was that he really wanted to be a part of a team. And so he went back to school and he joined the football team and his coach got to hearing his story and his coach looked at Jamal and said, Jamal, your job for the next six months is not to learn football. It's not to get an education. It's not to uh, become rich and famous. It is to survive. And I'm here to help you survive. What was that coach doing? He was seeking justice. He was seeking righteousness. He was, he was striving to make an impact in this world, to bring hope to someone who was hopeless. Where can you do that in your life? Where can we do that as a church? The promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And that's our hope. That's what we look towards. And we wait for the day when Jesus comes, right? Advent is all about Jesus coming. So Jesus came to, to fulfill this promise. And sometimes the best thing we can do is say, Maranatha, come again, Lord Jesus. Bring justice and righteousness. So we have this promise of a righteous branch. You have this promise of justice and righteousness. And lastly, we have this promise of salvation and security in verse 16. It says, in those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell securely. Right? Judah was longing for a day when their enemies were defeated. They were longing for a day when their city was safe. They were longing for salvation and security and peace. 
And like them, we long for the same thing. We ache for those things, right? We long for a day when Satan, sin, and death are defeated. We long for a day when fear and shame and guilt are no more. Think about the shame that you feel over your continual sins. Don't you long for a day when that, when that goes away? Think about your continual guilt. Some of you have uh, incredibly guilty consciences, and you're confessing your sins over and over and over again. Don't you long for a day when your conscience is cleared? Don't you long for a day when we have earthly and eternal security? Well, the birth of Jesus fulfills this promise for salvation and security. Uh, this, this baby grew up in, into a man who lived justly and righteously, right? He did justice. He did righteousness like we were supposed to do. And yet he grew into a savior that died for our injustice and died for our unrighteousness. See, when we look at the law and we look at the justice and righteousness of God, we have to look at it and say, there's no one righteous. No, not one. That even on my best day, I don't live up to the law of God, that I don't love my God with my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I don't love my neighbor as myself. But the good news of the gospel is that one came who did, that Jesus is the righteous brand, that, that the Lord is our righteousness, that he is just, that he is righteous, and that through his justice and his righteousness, we can be declared just and righteous by faith in him. Our eternal security is secured in him. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our security. Uh, whenever I was in the MRI machine, at the end of the, my time in there, as it's getting long, and I start to panic, one of the things that I do is I, I, <laughs> I try to recite Bible verses <laughs> that I know. You try to get your mind off anything, right? Like literally, you know, Scrooge does, can only work so long, right? And you're staring at the top of this MRI machine. And so sometimes I try to go to sleep and sometimes I try to memorize Bible verses, right? I think about Bible verses. And this time I was thinking about Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I was telling myself, I've been raised with Christ. I am in Christ I'm seated at the right hand of God. My life is hidden with Christ right now. I may be in this MRI machine, but in a real spiritual way, my life is hidden with Christ on high. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're waiting for, whatever you're suffering, your longing is, you can, claim, you can trust that promise that even though right now you're in the midst of that suffering, you are really spiritually seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And that is secure. Nothing can change that. Right? There's nothing that can take that away. That his life, death, and resurrection has so firmly seated you in the heavenly places that you cannot be shaken or destroyed. Right? That's the promise we have. <laughs> the world holds out all these promises to us, right? Uh, one of the promises I found this week uh, from the world, uh, you know, as a pastor, you're always searching around for stuff, like <laughs> different resources. What, what does the world think about this? So today I, I just Googled Oprah and hope. <laughs> and this is what I found on Oprah's website, right? Oprah says, we're free to, as long as we're free to choose, we have hope. 
I just thought, huh, that's, that's awfully convenient. I've heard to say that. What about when all your freedoms are taken? What about whenever you don't have the freedom to choose? Right? What about when life's out of control? What about like a pandemic? <laughs> the world says, hey, the world says you need to hope in the next toy, the next party, the next drink, the next vacation. Like you're always looking for the next thing. That's what's going to deliver you. But what about when all those things are taken away? Where's your hope then? That's not security. That's not a secure hope. Um, one of the things that I, that I like to look, do in, in the holiday season is look at Christmas hymns and listen to the Christmas hymns and think about the, the gospel in these Christmas hymns. And, uh, and th- I've had two, I've had this, I've had come that long expected Jesus in my head. But I've also had another Christmas song in my head, uh, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. Anybody else have that in their head? I just feel like it's everywhere. I can't get it out, right? But as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about, think about the contrast between the lyrics to Wonderful Christmas Time and Come Thou Long Expected Jesus and the different hopes they give us. Listen to this. Hear the lyrics to Wonderful Christmas Time. The mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight, and that's enough. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. The feelings here that only comes this time of year, the word is out about the town, a wonderful Christmas time. About the town to lift a glass, ah, don't look down, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. What is, what is the hope in that song? The hope is another party, another feeling, another, uh, another good time. And so as a, as, a, as a people, we just move from holiday to holiday, hoping in those holidays and the joy that comes with them. And, and never mind that when those holidays wear away, we're right back into our waiting and aching and longing. Now listen to the lyrics of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Joy to those who long to see thee. Day spring from on high appear. Come thou promised rod of Jesse. Of thy birth we long to hear. O'er the hills the angels singing news. Glad tidings of a birth. Go to him your praises bringing. Christ the Lord has come to earth. This next stanza is the one that's really gotten to me lately. Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. By his life, he brings us gladness, our redeemer, shepherd, friend. Leaving riches without number, born within a cattle stall, this the everlasting wonder. Christ was born, the Lord of all. Came to earth to taste our sadness, he whose glories knew no end. Jesus didn't stay in heaven away from the sadness, the longing, the aching, the hopelessness. He came to earth and got in it. He came to taste our sadness. Whatever pain and suffering and sadness you feel in this life, Jesus knows what it tastes like. And he tasted our sadness so that we could taste his glory. That's our hope. That's what we put our hope in. That's where the promise is. And as we trust that promise, that's where our hope grows from. 
So let's go to the Lord now and let's ask him to help us trust these promises.